0: I'm not a salesman. Uh, some 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 of you may have picked up on that. Um, I, I'm, I'm really no good at sales. When I was a kid, the the two words that could inspire terror in me were enchilada dinner. Because at my elementary school, they had this fundraising thing where the kids were given little books of tickets, and we had to go around our neighborhood selling them. And I don't know if I sold any, but I know I hated enchilada dinner because of that. Um, years later, I was in the, the technology industry, and I had a, a period of time, it was... A hundred thousand years uh, compressed into about um, I don't know three or four months, where I was a sales engineer, and that meant that I was the guy who went on the sales trips, and I knew how the product worked, and the sales people were the ones who knew how people worked, and so I, I got to kind of see how sales worked and and understand um, what what was involved in selling, and um, I, I became a little more appreciative of the art, of the craft, and the science of of selling things, and I also became more convinced than ever that I am no salesperson. So, uh, I like this passage of scripture because we see Paul is a terrible salesperson. Paul um, does everything that you might imagine a salesperson might do—any kind of hard sell you've ever been subjected to. Paul does not do in this passage of scripture. Paul lays it out, says, "Here's the deal. That's the the only deal there is. Uh, nobody gets a special deal." Um, if you come back tomorrow, this deal does not expire tonight. Okay, this is the same deal you'll hear tomorrow. It's the same deal people have been hearing for 2,000 years. Um, everything you might imagine a high-pressure salesman doing, um, Paul doesn't. Paul just says, here's the deal. And if you can find a better deal, take that one. That's all Paul does. And so I, I admire Paul for being a, a no-salesman. I can say, well, maybe there's hope for me too in my calling. So, uh we've been in this passage of of uh scripture uh, looking at what I call the best chapter. And what I mean by that is not that not that there are some parts of the Bible you should pay attention to and other parts you shouldn't. What I mean is that there are some parts that are more fun, okay? There are parts of the Bible that that are great because they help us to see the problem. And those aren't much fun because the problem is usually us, okay? But there are other parts of scripture that help us to see the solution. And this is one of those passages. Uh, chapter eight of Romans is the conclusion of this argument that Paul is making. Um, the the whole first half of the book of Romans, Paul's kind of talking about the problem we have, and then in chapter eight he addresses what is the solution. So he says he says the problem we've got is that we know what's right and we don't do it, and and we all know what that's like, right? We know I shouldn't I shouldn't say that. Because it's not going to help the situation. It's only going to get her mad. It's only get, going to make him crazy. And then we say it anyway. Or or we say, I know I shouldn't go in that building. Nothing good will come of that. Uh, it is not a wise thing for me to do to go there. And then we go right ahead and we do that. Okay, we know what that feeling is. And Paul talks all about where that comes from. And now in chapter 8, he says, okay, well, what's the solution? What is the solution? And that's what makes this, uh, in my mind, if not the best chapter certainly among the best chapters in scripture and and yet it is also selling Paul is selling something here um, he's just doing it in a very low key manner Paul is selling because he says he says you have the freedom to reject it uh, what what God is offering you is a gift and you don't have to take it if you read the first few few verses we looked at last week if you if you weren't here last week you can you can listen online but but what Paul says in the first few verses of Scripture is that up until God acted in Christ, we were kind of like slaves in Egypt. We had a taskmaster, kind of a pharaoh kind of person, who told us what to do. And the reason we did those things that weren't wise, the things that weren't right, was because, because we were slaves to sin, he calls it. Slaves to sin. And what we learned last week is that is that God acted in Christ to free us from slavery to sin. So now we are in the position of freed slaves. And it's up to us what to do next. Um, another way would, of looking at it would be, imagine that you're in a position of being a, um, uh, suppose you're someone who has a gambling addiction, and, and you have $50,000 in debt, okay? And somebody comes along and pays it off. Okay? Somebody just pays it off. And the question is, okay, now what? You don't have to go back to the tables. But will you? That's the question Paul's asking. He's saying, you no longer are compelled to go there. Maybe before you felt like you had to because you're in so deep, the only way you could, you could get out would be by like getting lucky and, and paying off with your winnings or something like that. Paul's saying, that's been taken care of. You no longer have that hanging over you. But the question is, now what? You're a freed slave, but are you going to go back and act like a slave, or are you going to be a free person? That's the question Paul's dealing with, and he says, he says that's the problem you have as freed slaves. What next? And so he says, he says um, in verse 12, Paul says, so then, brothers and sisters, we're debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the spirit, the deeds of the body, you will live. This is what he's talking about. He says, he says, the flesh is that thing in us. Um, it's not not flesh like we think of flesh. It's not our body parts. What he means is, is it's that it's that thing inside us that 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 makes it so attractive to do the thing that we know is not wise, the thing maybe we know is wrong, um, that certainly won't help matters. That is what Paul means when he talks about the flesh. He says, he says, you're no longer debtors. It wasn't the flesh that solved your problem. Okay, The flesh is what made your problem worse and continually makes your problem worse. So you're not debtors to the flesh. The flesh didn't fix your problem. But what I love is Paul does not say who paid off our debt. He, he, he kind of says you have an anonymous benefactor Okay, because he doesn't want to pressure us. Paul doesn't want to pressure us. He knows, and you can read the rest of what Paul writes elsewhere. Paul knows who paid the debt. He knows God paid the debt, but he does not want... To, to have people uh, uh, responding out of some sense of, well, I suppose I should then, just out of gratitude or something. Paul, Paul says, you have an anonymous benefactor, okay? But it was not flesh who saved you. And then he says, okay, um, here's the deal. Verse 13, he says, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. And that is the deal. That is the deal. He says, see, you have had the opportunity to be slaves, and you know what that's like. And now you are cast adrift from even that. You don't even have that to to hang on to right now. You're a free person. Where are you going next? And he says, God offers you a deal. God offers you a deal which is to make you not simply a freed slave, but a child of God. He says, that's the deal that God's putting on the table. And again, if you can find a better one, take it. Snap it up. But this is the deal that God's making. God will make you a child of God. What does that mean? What does it mean to be a child of God? He goes on. He says, "Uh, you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. That's how you become a child, not because you're born into the family, but because God chooses you and says, okay, I'm adopting you into my family. And he says, when we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So if you've ever had that sensation, you've ever, ever, even once, you've ever said, um, you've ever looked at God as anything other than Pharaoh, anything other than the one who can beat you into submission. If you've ever looked at God and said, actually, God's on my side. God actually means well for me. He says that spirit where you look at God as a loving father instead of the taskmaster, if you've ever had that feeling, that is the spirit bearing witness with you that you have been adopted into this family of the children of God. So he says, when we cry Abba, it is that spirit crying out. And then this is the key. He says, if we are children, then we're heirs. Now when you think heirs, you may think, okay, well, uh, someday I'll get a slice of the streets of gold in heaven or something. That's not what Paul's talking about here. He's saying, he's saying, this is how you draw on the power of God. The reason that Jesus was better than us, the reason that Jesus was kinder and more righteous and more patient and more loving than we are, is because he was connected to God in a way that we have not been. And he says, if we are heirs of God, then we are connected to Jesus, or we're connected to to God um, the same way Jesus was. He says we can draw on God's power. We can be the kind of people that. Jesus was. We can be better, kinder, lover, more loving, um, uh, more patient, all the things we wish we were and don't feel like we are. He says we can be heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. But there's a snag. If we suffer with him, so we may also be glorified with him. See, if you get a share of Jesus, you also get a share of what Jesus went through. And Jesus got killed. Jesus got nailed to a cross. And he says, you're going to suffer like that. And, and Paul says, Paul, Paul responds in two ways to what the little light bulb that goes on in our head there. He says, first of all, I've done the math. He says, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. He says, I've figured this out. You know, if you think it through, you'll realize that the future glory, the glory of being the kind of person we want to be, the person who doesn't do the things that our flesh tell us to do to be like jesus that's worth it okay to to be like that not just now but for all eternity is worth it relative to the little bit of suffering we have to go through but paul knows beyond that a lot of people most people are going to say you know what you're telling me i have enjoyment now and pain later or pain now and enjoyment later i'll take most people would say i'll take enjoyment now and worry about the future when the future comes along that's just kind of the natural way people respond and so paul says don't kid yourself he says this he says for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of god for the creation was subjected to futility not of its own will but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope uh, he says he says look around the world's a mess you're gonna suffer anyway. Okay? You're gonna suffer anyway, not because creation did anything wrong. He says Adam and Eve did something wrong and they took creation down with it. Okay? And as a result, creation's a mess. You're gonna suffer anyway. He says it doesn't matter whether it's a war because, because your village gets shelled by the government or your village gets shelled by the rebels. It doesn't matter if you're driving along in your car and somebody smashes into you. It doesn't matter if some cell in your body just goes haywire you're going to suffer that's part of what it is to live in this fallen creation he says creation was subjected to futility in the hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of god we know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now that's just the reality of life on earth you don't have to be a christian to know that you know that you just turn in the TV, the creation is a mess. But he says, not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly while we wait for adoption. He says, you're going to suffer. The question is, is your suffering going to have any meaning, or is it just going to be random? He says says, that when you suffer because you follow Jesus, it gives meaning and purpose to the suffering that everybody faces. Everybody suffers, But you can suffer for a reason. The redemption of our bodies. C.S. Lewis, the writer, he's, he's got a great image here. He says, he says, what, what Paul's talking about is life's going to beat on you. But when you are a follower of Jesus, what, what that is like is, is, uh, you are, you can imagine yourself as a block of marble and, and the beating is the beating of a, of a, Sculptor's hammer and chisel, as he's taking away everything that's not that ultimate artistic creation that God is working toward. So, yes, you are going to get beat on. Everybody gets beat on, but you can be beat for a purpose, which is to make you into something better. The redemption of our bodies, making us into the children of God. So he says, "For in hope we were saved. Now, hope that is not uh, seen—that is seen—is not hope. In other words, it's not done yet. Um, We're 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 looking forward to this." Who hopes for what is seen? Who hopes for what they're already experiencing? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So he says, he says, you can draw on the power of the children of God. You can have that sort of connection to God, just like Jesus had, and become the kind of person Jesus was. But it doesn't mean you get a pass. You're going to suffer like everybody else, but your suffering can make a difference. Your suffering can be for a purpose. And then he says this, will have help likewise the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know how to pray as we ought but that very spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words this this word here where he says the spirit helps it's this beautiful word picture it's only used one other place in the the bible um if you know the story of mary and martha uh, they were they were uh, hosting a dinner jesus came by and uh, had a dinner and mary sat down and listened to jesus and martha's in the kitchen working away And finally, Martha's had enough, and she throws down her spoon and comes out and says, Lord, doesn't it bother you that my sister's not doing her share? Order her to help me. And what she specifically says is, order her to pick up the other side with me. This word means to pick up the other side. So if you've ever like wrestled a a mattress down the stairs, or um or try to get a, a a refrigerator out of the truck into the house anything like that um that's this picture the the one who comes along and takes the other side to hold it up to to help you move something around that's this picture the spirit helps us the spirit takes the other side uh with us and he says he says uh the spirit prays the spirit we say look i know that god's got all these riches up there okay there's the the riches that jesus drew on I don't know how to access them. I don't know, how does that work? He says, the Spirit helps you. We don't even know what to ask for. And he says, the Spirit comes alongside. The Spirit takes the other corner and prays for us. He says, the Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God who searches the heart knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So he says, you're going to be like Jesus. It's not going to be it's not going to be cheap. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be painful, just like life on earth is painful. But you'll have help because the Spirit will help you draw on the grace of God. And then he says this. He says, We know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. This is one of the the famous quotes from the Apostle Paul, um, you know, some people have accused Paul of writing down a bunch of quotes and then putting a few words to hang them together and then calling that the book of Romans. And this is a great example of that. Paul says this thing, We know all things work together for good for those who love God. What does he mean by that? What he means is that God uses it all. God uses the things that that were easy for us, the things where it's just smooth sailing, and the times when it was hard. It means God uses the things that we did before we had a relationship with god the things that we went through the things we had to cope with our experiences back before we knew god and the experiences since we've known god the things the things that we did on on our part and the things that the spirit did when the spirit was holding up his side god uses all those things to work together for good what is the good the good is a uh, verse uh Twenty-eight. Um, the good is this purpose of God, and the purpose is to be conformed to the image of His Son. Remember, the goal is to make us into people like Jesus—the kind of people we want to be and yet fail to be. Right now, if you don't want to be like Jesus, okay, that's fine. That's that's this kind of deal where this is God's deal, and if you can find another deal, fine. Okay, if you like a better deal, go ahead. But if you want to be like Jesus, if you read the Bible and you say, "I wish I was like that." I wish when somebody said this to me, I would not say that back. I, I wish I could resist this temptation or that temptation. He says, "This is how you get to be like Jesus. God uses everything in your life—the good and the bad, the ugly. God uses it all to make you like Jesus. He uses this, this, um, this—a uh, key word. It's a, it's a hot button word for a lot of people. Predestination. He says, um, he says, those whom he predestined, he also called." We could have a whole conversation about it, but we're not going to because he does pay attention to the clock. Um, but I just say this. Uh, the key word in predestination is destination, right? God wants us to arrive somewhere. God wants us to get someplace. Uh, he wants us to be like Jesus. And I don't even know what that really means. Okay, it sounds good. What I can see in the Bible, it sounds better than me. Okay, I like that but I don't know how to get there. I don't know what route I take. I don't know when I I will have arrived. God knows the destination. God already knows my destination. I don't. So the key part of predestination is destination. Those whom he knows the destination of, he called, and those whom he called, he justified, and those whom he justified, he glorified. So... What's our what's our application? What do we do with this? Well, the beautiful part about Paul's low-key sales technique is you do what you want, right? If you can find a better deal, take it. But for two thousand years, uh, people have been saying this is a great deal. Um, I think most of us have experienced it as a great deal, and so we say we say do 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 what you want, but this is the deal that God offers. And if you walk out of here, um, you can come back tomorrow, and and get the exact same deal. It's not going to change, you know. It doesn't it doesn't expire at midnight tonight. Operators are standing by, but they'll be standing by tomorrow too. Okay, this is a deal you can take when it's the right deal for you. And it doesn't matter how many times you go back to the tables, because God has paid the bill. God God has. Been the anonymous benefactor. So what do we do? We take the deal or we don't. And if we take the deal, we lean into it. We look for the places where God has been at work in our lives and we say, that's one of the places where maybe he's not going to beat on me so much because I'm starting to look a little bit more like Jesus. And we say, that helps me to appreciate better what he's doing over in this area. When we lean into the places where we, where we see God at work, it makes it more more um, tolerable the places where we're saying, I just don't get it. And then one last application: don't sell Jesus. There's so many Christians out there who are trying to sell Jesus. Okay, and we're th- we are using high-pressure sales techniques. You know, we're using that. You know, you know, do do you know where you're going if you die today? You know, we um, uh, we're saying this is a special deal. We're using high-pressure tactics that Paul doesn't use. And what we need to do is we need to stand back and let the deal sell itself because it is a great deal. It's a great deal. God says he's going to use everything in our lives, including the mistakes we make, getting to the point where we're willing to trust God. God will use all that. He says we'll have help along the way and we'll become children of God. It's a great deal. And we can just stand back and let it sell itself. What we can do is we can say, here's the deal I got. When somebody says, I don't know what it is with you Christians, we can say, this is the deal I got. You can get the same deal and let that be it. We don't have to use high-pressure sales techniques. So let's be like Paul. Let's tell people the deal we got. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Father, you have freed us from slavery to sin, and you invite us to become your children. You invite us to be connected to You and to draw on this glorious inheritance that made Jesus capable of of getting through things that we can't even imagine. And more than that, Lord, You promise us that we will have Your Spirit with us along the way. Take the other corner and hold it up. And You promise that by whatever path, the path we can't understand and can't appreciate, You will take us to that destination. So Lord, help us to lean into that. If there are people here who don't know You, I pray, Lord, that You would help them to see what a great deal You offer. And if there are people around us, people in our circles who don't know You, I pray, Lord, You'd use us to help them to see what a great deal you offer. And I pray all this in Christ our Lord. Amen.